Okay, so today we're going to read the first scripture uh, here at the beginning. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Luke. Soon afterwards, he, Jesus, went to a, a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, as I mentioned, uh, today is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. It's the next to last Sunday in our sermon series, An Extraordinary Life, A Lenten Journey with Jesus. And throughout this season of preparation for Easter, uh, we've been reading the story of Jesus as told by Luke's gospel. Each week, we have focused on a different aspect of his ministry. So far in this series, we've talked about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness before his ministry began. We talked about his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. We spent a week focusing on Jesus' healing ministry. And then last week, we talked about his teaching ministry. Today, we're talking about the miracles of Jesus, and it, it's probably good here at the start uh, to just go ahead and define what we mean by miracle. There's a secular definition of the word, as I'm sure you know. Uh, one of the definitions that Merriam-Webster offers for the word miracle is this, an extremely outstanding, <laughs> that's exactly how it goes, an extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. Now, anyone who's my age or older certainly remembers in the pop culture of my childhood the most well-known use of the word miracle was in regard to a, a certain 1980 Olympic hockey game between the United States and the Soviet Union. No? Nobody remembers this? <laughs> the 945 service is like, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, we know that one. <laughs> The scrappy U.S. team, uh, made up of college-age amateur players, it was the, the youngest team in the Olympics that year, it was in fact the youngest team in U.S. national hockey team history, they upset the mighty Soviet Union. It was a fearsome collection of professional players with significant international experience. They had won five of the six previous gold medals. They were the heavy favorite to win again in 1980, and as the, the closing seconds of the Americans' 4-3 victory ticked away, sportscaster Al Michaels uttered one of the most famous taglines in sports history. You probably know it. Do you believe in miracles? In 1999, Sports Illustrated would name it the, the top sports moment of the 20th century, I assume that was not the Russian version of Sports Illustrated. They probably had a, a different top moment in the 20th century. And even though the U.S. still had to 
to go on and play one more game. They ended up beating Finland in the gold medal game. Uh, the game against the Soviets would from then on be known as the miracle on ice. As Christians, though, while we can assume safely, I think, that God was cheering for the U.S. team in that game, uh, we have a much more theological understanding of the word miracle. My HarperCollins Bible Dictionary defines miracles this way, special interventions by God on behalf of humankind. Special interventions by God on behalf of humankind. Now, uh, Jesus performed many different kinds of miracles in his ministry as recorded in the New Testament. At the wedding at Cana, for example, the Gospel of John tells us that he famously uh, turned water into wine. Uh, all four of the Gospels tell us about the, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves, that particular feeding miracle. Uh, we know that he, he healed all kinds of ailments. That's a specific kind of, of healing miracle that we explored a couple weeks ago. And all of his miracles made the same essential point, that God was working through Jesus in a unique and powerful way. Today, what we're doing is, gonna, is focusing on, on two of his miracles. So our first passage today is a story that only appears in Luke's gospel. It's a story that echoes something that Jesus uh, alluded to in his first sermon in Nazareth. Reagan preached on this a few weeks ago. In that first sermon, uh, Jesus cited uh, an instance from the ministry of the prophet Elijah when Elijah raised from the dead the son of a widow. That story appears in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, and it turns out that as the way Luke tells the story, this was uh, foreshadowing the miracle that Jesus himself would perform in the village of Nain, which is southeast of Nazareth. In Jesus' day, I'm sure you know this, a widow who was left without a son would be particularly vulnerable. In fact, uh, the death of her only son, aside from being emotionally devastating, of course, would also be a financial catastrophe. Uh, without a husband, without a male heir, a widow would have no legal inheritance. She would be completely dependent upon the charity of others. We actually talked about this a fair amount in our sermon series on the book of Ruth back in February. And what we read is that the widow's loss uh, elicits this powerful reaction from Jesus. Uh, when Luke says that he had compassion for her, the Greek word there actually, um, the English translation masks a little bit of the emotional intensity of that word. That's the, the Greek word that Luke uses uh, in the story later of the prodigal son. When uh, the father receives the son back after he's gone and um, lived his life in dissolute living, he comes back and the emotion that he feels when he sees his son returning is the same emotion that Jesus feels when he sees this widow has lost her son. It's, it's something more powerful than our English word compassion captures. And what Luke tells us is that uh, Jesus is so moved by her loss that he reaches out and he touches the, the stretcher that the young man is being carried on. That would have been a shocking thing for a first century rabbi to do. It would have made him ritually unclean. And we're told that he resuscitates the widow's son. He brings him back to life. And in an exact quote from that Elijah story, Luke says he gave him to his mother. 
It's an example of how uh, miracles are a demonstration of the power of God to help those in need. And in fact, uh, in every case, the miracles of Jesus are used to help, uh, to save, or to deliver others. As in the story that we're about to read. This is the eighth chapter, verses 22 to 25. Uh, Listen again, friends, for God's word. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Amen. Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So unlike that first story, the story of uh, the raising of the widow's son, that one appears only in Luke. This one appears actually in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all share a version of this story. Um, The disciples are with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Luke Luke describes it as the lake, but he's talking about the Sea of Galilee. And Luke tells the story as if it were an exorcism. In the ancient world, storms were were sometimes thought to have been caused by evil forces, and Luke tells us that, that Jesus rebuked the wind and the the raging waves, just as he would do with a demon. And the fact that he has power over the storm raises these emotions of fear and amazement in the disciples. The earlier passage we read about the raising of the widow's son also talks about the crowd being fearful. Um, Jesus' miracles often elicited fear and amazement. Who is this (laughs) that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, as first century, 21st century Christians, uh, we know the answer to their question, right? Just as Luke did when he was writing his gospel, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity uh, in the flesh. We know that as God incarnate, Jesus has the power to do whatever Jesus chooses to do, as incredible as it would have seemed to those who witnessed it. And here, It's important to point out that the author of Luke's gospel also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And what this author tells us in the book of Acts uh, is that the same power of the Holy Spirit that was with Jesus when he raised the widow's son, when he calmed the storm, that same Holy Spirit was with the early church as the apostles preached the gospel and uh, the Christian movement began to spread. In fact, the book of Acts is full of examples of the apostles doing miracles just like Jesus did because the Holy Spirit was with them too. And according to Luke, and this is kind of the punchline for today, that same Holy Spirit is with every single one of us who confess him as the Lord. The Holy Spirit that was with Christ is the Holy Spirit that was with the apostles, is the Holy Spirit that is with us. Now, that truth uh, can either be really intimidating (laughs) or incredibly empowering. 
that as the body of Christ in the world called to be ministers of the gospel in our place and time, the Holy Spirit is every bit as much with us as the Spirit was with the earliest apostles, as the Spirit was with Jesus himself. Now, it looks different for us. The examples of the Spirit's work among us are surely not quite as dramatic as they were in Jesus' ministry, but the Spirit's work is just as real. And, and you know, sometimes our, our rational, uh, post-enlightenment, scientifically inclined mind, sometimes our minds can be skeptical at best or dismissive at worst of the idea that, that miracles are still possible. But if miracles are interventions by God on behalf of humankind, and if we are the body of Christ in the world, continuing Jesus' ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, and according to Luke, we are, according to the Bible, we are, according to Christian theology, we are, then surely the age of miracles is not limited to the pages of the Bible. It's true that those miracles look different now. Uh, I've never personally seen anyone literally raised from the dead. I've never seen anyone in front of me uh, calm a storm with a command. But I have seen a whole lot of divine interventions on behalf of humankind through the work of the church. <laughs> and I'm guessing that you have too. I love this movie. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this movie, Bruce Almighty. If you've not seen it, uh, it's worth your time. It's, now listen, it's a comedy starring Jim Carrey, so it is a little irreverent in places. Just be warned about that. But it's got great theology. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays the role of God. That is solid casting, if you ask me. And he gets fed up with Jim Carrey's title character of Bruce. Bruce's story is frankly not an unfamiliar one. Bruce is convinced that God is not doing it right. God is not doing things the way Bruce wants God to do them. And so God says, fine, you know what? I need a vacation anyway. Bruce, you have all my powers. Uh, we'll see if you can do it better than me. Now, of course, Bruce promptly messes everything up. He uses uh, his powers to do silly things like parting his soup, as he's doing here, like a la Moses at the Red Sea. Uh, in some cases, he uses his power inappropriately. In all cases, he causes more problems than he solves. And then there's this great scene where Bruce repents. He goes back to God. He admits that he was wrong. He asks God to take God's power back. And God, in God's infinite wisdom, uh, makes a point that's relevant for our subject today. God says, parting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. That's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. You want to see a miracle, son? God asks. Be the miracle. Miracles, after all, are special interventions by God on behalf of humankind. And while we, of course, and certainly are not God, we are indeed the representatives of God's Son in the world with the Holy Spirit working within us. That's what we believe. 
And we're just a, a few weeks away from a unique opportunity here at Christ United. On April 23rd, uh, we'll have the chance to put our faith in action on something called Serving Together Day. This was organized by our new Serving Others director, Lisa Riazzi. Our church family is going to be all over the city of Plano with opportunities from uh, the youngest among us to the oldest among us to participate in a variety of interventions on behalf of humankind. If you've gone to the website already, you know this list. There's a long list of projects, but among those projects, uh, we will help with the Great American Cleanup. We're going to help with a project for Kids Against Hunger. We're going to help the Plano Overnight Warming Station in their ministry with those experiencing homelessness. We'll, we'll help folks in need with home repair services, and we'll assist residents of the Tuscany Villas senior apartment community with various stuff around their homes. We'll serve those experiencing homelessness with sandwich blessings, and we'll pack and provide hygiene kits. There are other projects as well. You can see the full details at cumc.com slash serving day. And the vision here is that serving together day will be a microcosm of all the kinds of ministries that we, that we do here at Christ United year-round. I really hope you'll be able to participate in at least part of that day. Sure, it's not as dramatic or as obvious as raising the dead or calming a storm, but if a, if a hockey game can endure in our collective memories as an example of a miracle, then surely that word applies to the transformative work of the church, both in our own lives and through us in the lives of our neighbors. Albert Einstein, uh, pretty smart guy, <laughs> is claimed to have said something that I love. He said, the, uh, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. <laughs> In our rational, post-enlightenment, scientifically inclined world, a world that can be skeptical at best or dismissive at worst at the idea that miracles are still possible. Count me among those who still very much believe in the miracles all around us. Friends, I'm grateful that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can do extraordinary things on behalf of the one whose extraordinary life continues to transform. Thanks be to God. Amen.